And I have just two things that I want to share with you today um, from what's been going on lately. So let me start with the first one. The morning of Keith's funeral. Now, I love Patty Engberg. Let me just tell you something. But if I showed you all the different things she wanted to be sure that happened at Keith's funeral, and how many times they changed, it'd be a long list. <laughs> it came out gloriously, and I'm happy for that. But don't you know, on Sunday morning, if you're Pat Brady, you're right in that funeral, or whatever day it was, Tuesday or Wednesday, Wednesday morning. My phone rings. It's Richard Engberg, Keith's dad. Richard says, I want you to do me a favor. I said, sure, Richard, anything. He said, I want you to give a salvation call at my son's funeral. Who's going to tell Keith's dad no about a salvation call, you know? I talked to Patty, and Patty wasn't sure she wanted me to do it. And then she said, you just do whatever you feel like the Lord wants you to do. And honestly, um, that's not my way. If I'm going to share the gospel with you, I want to be right in your face. I want to know. Are you hearing me? Do you understand? Repeat back to me, you know, because I never, ever want to send somebody off thinking they're okay without a strong assurance in my heart that they actually are okay. But Richard asked me. And and then the thought came to me that there's probably people in that room that Richard knows and loves that he thinks maybe they don't know Jesus yet. And that's the time where your heart is tender towards your own mortality. So I said, you betcha, Richard, I'm your guy. Went back, sat down. You know, I'm not a I'm not a five second gospel guy. There's no way that if I'm going to do it, it has to be substantially complete. Otherwise, I will just have such a horrible conviction on myself. So I did it. I did it the way I think the Bible says it, and I waited for a response. And I looked, and I looked, and nobody responded. No, I don't. We're getting there. But I didn't know that at the time. And and then now I'm fighting with the devil a little bit. Yep, amen, yep. Now I'm fighting with my own flesh and the devil in my head. And it's like, well, you know, I just pray, God, that everybody in here knows you. Went on, we finished the funeral. We finished the funeral. Somebody comes over, Nancy Heller, she wants you to know. Some guy raised his hand. And I'm like, I didn't see it. Yes, yes. So I go over to Nancy, and she's like, she's describing the guy to me, right? And then she's like, he's bald-headed. That's him right there. And she's pointing, and she's pointing at Kyle. I'm like, Kyle raised his hand? How did I miss Kyle? I'm like, with his back, that guy right there? She's like, yeah. I'm like, that's Keith's son, Kyle. That's his son, Kyle. And we're we're so happy. And she's like, oh, no, no, not, not that guy guy talking to him you know so I'm like okay he finishes you know going through the line with the family he's coming out man I I just intercepted him I said hey you know what I'm sorry I missed it but somebody said you raised your hand I'm talking to him a minute I said you got to look me in my eyes I'm gonna get a piece of paper and a pen I'm gonna write down my cell phone number you look me in my eyes and you say I promise I'm gonna call you because I don't know what he heard I don't know how he heard it but I don't want him walking out that door until I know how he heard it and what he heard. Turns out, it's Keith's cousin. (laughs) 
just to give a salvation call in front of a large group is hard for me. Not to doing it. It's the it's the not knowing what a person heard. Um, so he said, okay, I'll call you. And he did. And, and the next day I talked to him, I got to say two hours on the phone. And he doesn't live here. I mean, he lives here, but he lives like Otisville. You know, it's not practically, well, Lapeer comes to here. So maybe it's the guy could come. But I'm thinking he needs somebody over there, you know, needs to be discipled. So I'm talking to him for two hours and, um, he was raised up in a denomination, and he told me about you know all the denominational stuff and all the stuff that they told him. And one of the things I told him is, "You're a new creature in Christ. You've just been born again. I mean, if it took, and you need to be baptized." And he's like, "Well, I've been baptized." I'm like, "Well, tell me about that." Well, I don't really remember that much. I think I was seven. But the point is, he raised his hand. I preached the gospel. I mean, I know what I said is right. I explained how you respond to the gospel. But he, he didn't understand. And he'd been through the catechisms and the, you know. So, so the first thing that's heavy on my heart that I, I want to talk to you about is I looked on the Internet, like on the Google map, and, and I said he told me where he lives. It's like by a thing called Otter Lake. And, and if this is Otter Lake, there's an Assemblies of God Church here, and there's one here. I actually know this guy, the pastor there. So I called the office. I said, listen, this guy responded to the gospel. He needs to be discipled. And, and just, I mean, coming here on Sunday morning is about this much of discipleship. Right? So um, they didn't answer. They, they're closed on Friday. So they had an email. I sent an email. So I'm going to talk to the pastor. He'll probably call me tomorrow, and I'll, I'll explain to him do you have somebody to disciple this man? Because he doesn't know. And he needs to be discipled. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing I'll get to in a minute. But when I, when I had a thought about all of this, it took me to Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 35. And it addresses both things. The same scripture does. So let me read you the scripture and we'll go on. Mark chapter 8, 31 through 35. Jesus talking to his disciples. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he was uh, stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Him, him is Jesus. Peter is rebuking Jesus. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Immediate follow-up. The next scripture says this, And he, Jesus, summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So here's Peter. Peter's not one of the multitudes. Peter's one of the twelve. But Peter's not just one of the twelve. He's one of the three. And he needed to be discipled. 
because he chose the voice of Satan in his head. Remember we talk about flaming arrows, fiery darts, thoughts in your mind, and the thought that was placed in there by the enemy, Peter's faith didn't capture it, and it got right out his mouth. And, and, and he rebuked Jesus that the plan that God has for you is wrong because we, we don't want to be without you, Jesus. And he rebuked his Lord. And Jesus turned to Peter, where the words came from, and rebuked then the source of the words, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And then Peter, your mind is not set to the ways of God, but to the heart of man, to what what man would want, not what God would say. That's why we have to make disciples. We're not called to make converts. Jesus never said, go into all the nations and make me some converts. He said, make disciples. So there's Peter struggling as a disciple in that moment. I don't know how this works out exactly because Jesus didn't say, be my disciple, but he gave this whole list of things that would define what would have to change in you if you wanted to be his disciple, right? So we're called in the Great Commission to make disciples but we can't make disciples unless we choose to be a disciple, right? You cannot give what you do not have. The Great Commission reads like this, and Jesus came up and spoke. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because Patty and I had a discussion about whether dogs are in heaven. And in another presentation of the Great Commission, he says, preach the gospel to all creation, and dogs are part of all creation, and if you want your dog to hear the gospel, I don't know, maybe your dog can go to heaven. I'm not hanging my hat on that one, but that's why I chuckled and stopped for a minute, because, you know, some, some, some people have to rebuke the spirit of Jezebel. I have to rebuke the spirit of Dory in my little wandering mind. Okay, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the, the, the Great Commission. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So I'm going to talk to a pastor probably on Monday. I'm going to tell him there's a guy who's come to know Jesus, I think he's saved. You're going to want to be sure he needs to be discipled. Then I start having this thought. What if he called me? What if he said, hey, listen, you know, we had this thing, a funeral over here, and this guy from Argentine, he raised his hand, and I, I shared the gospel with him, and I sat down with him for two hours, but, but he lives in Argentine, and, and I'm going to point him towards you, but he needs to be discipled what would I do? Who, who would I connect him with? Now, fortunately, I, I have a fairly reasonable amount of time. Push came to shove, I can connect him to me, and I'll disciple him. But what if he's a, what if he's a lady? There's a cultural faux pas. <laughs> what, if, what if he calls me up and says, hey, this lady, who do I, who do I connect her with? Because it's not so great for me to be one-on-one with a lady. And that's what, that's what got me to this burden that's on my heart today. Fortunately, I, I do have some people that I could connect them with. Um, and I could connect them with me. 
honestly, guys, you know, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but we would be much safer if we needed to find a woman than a man in this church because we struggle with men. Sorry, if there's a man out there, Bruce, I wasn't talking about you. I don't know why I looked at the Zoom. You're, you're, you're right where you need to be, Bruce. If you're not, your wife will straighten you out. <laughs> the point is, somebody needs to come along that somebody, alongside that somebody, and make sure, right? So, so first of all, we have to decide to be a disciple. When, when we get done with the gospel, like when I'm done explaining the gospel in the detail that's going to make you go, oh, 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 but you need to know. And then the response to the gospel, because the Bible lays it out very clearly, that there isn't, there isn't a fuzzy gospel. And if you, if you sort of kind of get this concept, it's okay. No, no. It says if a person is going to be saved by the power of the gospel, it has to be the gospel, not, not something else. And then how a person responds. It's not fuzzy about that, how they respond. But the next conversation is going to be about what does it mean to be a disciple. And we have to choose to be disciples. Remember that thing that he said here? If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life. That means, like, I had a life before I went to, to, to Jesus. And my life didn't look like this life because it, it wasn't a righteous life. It wasn't a life that, that, that pursued righteousness. It was, a, it was a life that was lived to please and satisfy myself. And, and if I want to keep that life, I can have it, but I can't, I can't have eternal life. I can only have eternal life if I should repent, deny myself. That's what it means to be a disciple. And, and then go to Jesus and say, Jesus, what's it supposed to look like now? And then I'm going to go listen to a 1,000 sermons and figure it out. Or maybe I'll listen to 2,000 because I'll dial up somebody on YouTube and figure it out. No, no, no. You figure it out because you come to know Jesus. And somebody comes alongside you that knows him better than you such that you can then get to the place where you can be a disciple of others, right? So, so I just made a short list of... How, how would Pat Brady, if, if Jim Wiegand, however many years ago, was having this conversation with Pat Brady, what was just a short list of things that I would have to be prepared to disciple somebody else? Number one, clearly and rightly understand the gospel, what it is and how it's responded to. I promise you, I could sit down and say, you share the gospel with me. And I could blow it. I'm not trying to be mean to you, but I'm telling you, one person in all the time that I've had, all the conversations I've had about explain to me your understanding of the gospel. You know how many times somebody has reflected it back to me properly? Once. And, and that once was Caleb Green, of all people. Caleb Green, smart as a whip. I don't know whether he understood in his heart, but he understood it in his brain. And he's the only person that just bang, pow, this is what it says. I was blown away. And that's when he was at like military boot camp place. You got to understand the gospel. Because if you don't understand the gospel, with the greatest heart, you could give somebody a gospel that's not the gospel. And, and, then, and then you could say, hey, they're saved. You could tell them they're saved. And then they stand before Jesus and he's like, who are you? You've got to understand the gospel. You've got to understand how the gospel... I'm going to help you with that in the next few weeks. 
Number two, be able to explain to somebody that if they actually got saved, change happened. When they actually got saved, they were born again. You, you need to be able to articulate what that means. You need to be able to tell them when they got saved, they became a new creature in Christ. What does that mean? And then you need to be able to tell them that if you actually got saved, your life will change. Now, Trevor, you mess up my theology a little bit in the time window that that's supposed to look like. But at the end of the day, I was thinking about this when I'm thinking about this while we're worshiping. All the while you were battling alcohol, and, and it was an ugly battle. I have saw some of it, right? All the while you were passionate for Jesus. You really were. You know, in the, in the days of the booze, maybe, not D-A-Y-S, but D-A-Z-E, in the days of the booze, you might not have been able to find its way out, but always, always, when your mind was right, you, you were passionate for Jesus. So when, when somebody gets saved, they should change. No, 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 no. When they get saved, they will change. If you don't believe me, read First John, and then you'll believe me. You will become a person who rejects sin in your life. You will, because that's what the Bible says. Because God's seed abides in a person, they cannot sin. Doesn't mean they will not sin, but they can't. They can't just live a life of sin. It isn't possible. And if they are, and there's no repentant contrition, you use the word contrite heart, contrition, then I'd be very, very nervous about whether I was actually saved. So, so as a discipler, you have to be prepared to explain to somebody what they should expect. And if it doesn't happen, then you're right there with them to say, well, then let's go back to the gospel and talk about that again. Those are not easy conversations. The, the guy, the cousin guy, he really thinks he knows some stuff, and he really he said the word over and over again, I, I need to come back. And I'm saying, hey, I, you know, only God knows for sure, but I don't think you've ever been there. I think you're coming now, but I don't think you were ever there before. Maybe right, maybe wrong. Who cares? At the end of the day, if he comes there now, that's all that matters. But I'm telling you, that brother needs discipling. Understand? and communicate what the Gospels, Jesus himself, says about being a disciple. I remember one time I, I taught on being a disciple, and I used the words that Jesus used. And, and a, a dear friend, lover of Jesus, said, are you out of your mind? Before I even got out of the building, I said, what do you mean? Why in the world would you talk about Jesus the way you talked about Jesus? Do you think anybody wants that Jesus? I'm thinking to myself, well, what other Jesus is there? I didn't make anything up. I just read you what he said. But see, the church doesn't want to tell, you know, I'm painting with a broad brush, but the church doesn't want to tell people what Jesus says about dying to themselves, about hating their mother and their father and their children, that their devotion to him, if it doesn't make your devotion to the dearest things in your life look like, hey, you cannot be my disciple. I just was saying what Jesus said. And it was offensive to a pretty substantially committed Christian. What are we going to tell them? Are we, maybe we'll be the progressive church and say, well, God has grown with you, and, and he's comfortable with your sin, your unbelief, your lifestyle. 
And then someday, we're going to stand before God, and we're going to give an account for how we handled what he put in front of us. And that would not be a pleasant conversation to have with Jesus. I'm going to have to have that about a couple times. Not anymore. You need to be, this is going to sound like everybody's like, yeah, I don't want to be, a, I don't want to make a disciple. But you have to. Number four, you have to be prepared to minister the power, the love, the truth, and the freedom of God to that person. When I sit with the cousin guy, I'm pretty sure he's going to have some junk. He shared with me a little. I'm going to minister to him the truth and the power and the love of God that's going to set him free. And you know how I'm going to do it? Because I know it. And I'm not bragging on myself, but I'm telling you, when I pray with people anymore, it's only scripture. It's like, okay, question, talk, question, talk, question, talk. Okay, I think I know the lie that you believe. Let me tell you what the truth says about you and what the truth says about your relationship with God and what the truth says about who you are and the truth will make you free if you choose to embrace it. You got to know the scriptures. And, and listen, if you wanted to have a contest, like an arm wrestle, you know, we could arm wrestle in Ezekiel. Uh, this is me, and this one is you. Ready? Ow. You could muscle me in Ezekiel. You could muscle me in Isaiah. A few parts I'd probably give you a little resistance. But you've got to know that New Testament. You have to know what God says through the Apostle Paul about how a Christian should live his life. I, 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 he called me yesterday. We were on the phone, I don't know how long again, last night. It's like, listen, God says, never return evil from evil, but overturn, overcome evil with good. God says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God says, if your enemy is hungry, take him a meal. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. That's what God's looking for from us. And it's like, hallelujah, until your enemy's up there being your enemy, and then you want to return evil for evil, and then you've got to decide, am I a disciple? Or am I not? You've got to know the scriptures because you have to hold yourself accountable to the scriptures and you have to help them to be accountable to the scriptures. I'm going to have a conversation with a guy. I saw him at the funeral. I think he's living with a woman that's not his wife. I don't know it, but I have little circumstantial stuff. So I'm going to be very careful. I said, call me. He said, okay. When he calls me, I'm going to ask him the question. Are you living with a woman that's not your wife? And if he says yes, I'm going to say you have to stop. Who are you to tell me to stop? I don't know what he's going to say. I hope he breaks down and cries in repentance. Because if I, if I know the truth and I see my brother in error separating himself from God and he thinks he's not, and I don't tell him, how do I love Jesus? If I have what he needs and I don't give it to him because I don't want him to get mad at me, he may say, you know, kiss. And I might never talk to him again. I would be sad about that but I won't have his blood on my hands because I'm going to call him to repentance. you got to know the scriptures, really, really, especially the New Testament. And then this is just me. I think that one of the ways we disciple people is we read the scriptures with them and we talk about the scriptures so that we know they're reading the scriptures. I told the cousin, you got a Bible? He said, yeah, somebody gave him a Bible. I said, what kind is it? He's like, I don't know, brown. Turns out he was right. It was brown. I said, take a picture of the spine and send it to me. I want to make sure he's not reading, forgive me if you like it, but the Message Bible or the Passion Bible. If you own either of those books, you should put them in the garbage can. They're not scripture. 
If you think they're fun reading, okay, but don't read them like you're reading Scripture. That's a different sermon. Because I, I said, you need to start reading your Bible. Well, you know, I, I'm not really a good reader. Guess who else wasn't a good reader? A guy by the name of Buttercup. And guess what sat next to Buttercup's chair every single day? His Bible. And you know why it was sitting there? So he wouldn't have to get up and get it as he read it every single day. He needs to read his Bible. I said, listen, you need to read your Bible. He wants to tell me stories. I said, I'm not really that interested in your life story. Forgive me. I'm interested in you need to read that Bible. And if you and I are going to spend time together, you're going to read that Bible. And if you're not going to read it, I'm not really probably going to invest much time in you. Because it can't be more important to me that you love Jesus than it is to you that you love Jesus. Disciples. You know, I'm not wanting to embarrass you, ladies, but the best example I've ever seen in my 21 or 20 years, however long I've known Jesus, is Dana Hill and Janet. I don't exactly even know if you shared the gospel with her or you didn't, but you did. And, and then she took Janet and said, here we go. And Janet, you've probably gotten some strong words from your sister mama next to you, right? And some encouraging words from your sister mama, right? I don't know how many hours a week. And I'm not telling you got to spend, you got to you know, divorce your family to, to spend time with Keith's cousin. But I'm telling you, if, if you think that, 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 that sharing the gospel and then just trusting somebody's going to be okay is the process, you're wrong. Disciples have to be made. Whatever magnitude of disciple any of us are, it's because it was made. Because we had a passion for Jesus, and somebody helped us to shape that passion into the Jesus that's Jesus, not into the Jesus that's not Jesus. So if you want to know what it looks like, you can just go right over there, and you can see the amount of time that's been invested in that woman so that the Jesus she knows is the real Jesus, and the gifts that God has placed inside of her are being discipled in her. <laughs> right, and and curse her a couple times a week, probably. <laughs> Maybe back in the day. Yeah, right. You couldn't be. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So if we're not diligent with disciple making, here's what happens: people drift away. Read Hebrews at the beginning. It's like, and when they drift away, guess what? They don't think they've drifted away. And when you say something to them because you can see, whoa, that's not Jesus, they'll, they'll want to tell you, well, are you perfect? It's just deflection. If we're not careful, people will drift away. The world will never stop calling. How many can say amen that they don't stop calling you or me? The devil forever the world and its temptations and all of its lusts and what's it, the lust of the eyes and the this of this and the that of that, the passion of the world, the world is going to call on that disciple. And unless somebody is standing with them to help them to be strong, maybe forever, but at least until they can stand on their own legs and recognize. Like, like she, she had a, pre- a preacher that she told me she really likes that preacher. I'm like, you could do what you want, but I'm telling you don't listen to that preacher. Why not? I said, because... I question the integrity of that preacher. And you don't know the Bible well enough to be able to discern when he's lying to you and when he's telling you the truth. And when he's lying to you, he might not even think he's lying to you. He might think he's telling you the truth. And he's persuasive. So I said, please, don't listen to that guy until you're at a point 
with the Word of God where you can discern for yourself and you can glean off what's good and you can reject what's not. The door to that person can open for the ticklers of itching ears. And if you don't think they're not out there, they're out there. I call them the progressive church, but the church that says, hey, listen, Jesus understands this, and Jesus loves you, so everything is okay. And the, and the, the progressive church that when my son texted me, he said, when we talk, if we talk, blah, 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 and we will not discuss your religion. And the next day, he had posted a thing, which I'm sure was directed at me, from blog posts of some lady who called herself a progressive Christian. I'm like, oh, Lord, they got in his ears. And my religion is bad. So we're not going to talk about your religion. It can't be part of our conversation. 13 years, right, Patty? I'll get my son back. I like it to be less than 13 years, Lord, but you're in charge. They, they can become partakers in gospels that are no gospel at all. It causes people to fall in the worst possible situation. Paul warned the Corinthians and Paul warned the Galatians specifically about these things. And once they take up a gospel that's no gospel at all, guess what? Jesus is of no value to them. They find themselves back under whatever this gospel's preaching, and that, that has to save them. But guess what? That gospel doesn't have the power to save. Only the gospel has the power to save. Hundreds of people in that room the other day one response. I wonder if there were others that the Lord was tugging on, but the devil was telling them, you're good, you're okay, you're a good guy, you're whatever your deception is, or they just didn't want to raise their hand. I told them, listen, Jesus doesn't respect your closet profession of faith. He demands your profession to be public. Somebody says, hey, baptize me, but just you and me, no chance. Matter of fact, if you're not bringing people, I'm bringing people. Because people are going to hear you say that Jesus is Lord. They're going to hear you say, I'm dead and I exist in myself no more. I live. I'm resurrected. I'm dying with Christ and I'm resurrected in Christ and he's my life. I won't baptize somebody without a crowd. Not, no chance. I thought I was done with this part. Sometimes when I'm trying to figure out a sermon, it's not that easy. I mean, it's a lot easier now than it used to be. But sometimes I'll think God wants me to talk about something, and scriptures don't just come to my mind. And then I decide, well, I must, that must have been me because I have no scriptures. And then sometimes God will give me what I think is a very profound scripture to a point, and it will help me to feel like, okay, I have, I have the Lord on this one because he's reinforcing what he wants to say. So in the progressive church, they're making disciples, but they're not disciples of Jesus Christ. In the Mormon church, they're making disciples, but they're not disciples of Jesus Christ. That very situation existed when Jesus walked the earth. Listen to this statement he makes in Matthew 23, 15. Now let me just, before you put that up there, let me define a word for you that, that, that you won't hear too often. It's called proselyte. A Jew would proselytize. When we share the gospel with somebody, we're proselytizing, and we're hoping to make a proselyte 
which would be then a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ with the gospel. The Jews did that as well to the Gentiles. And some Gentiles would go through a process of, of, of becoming Jewish. They can't change their blood, but they can become Jews. There's what Jesus says to the process of bad discipleship. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and on land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. That is strong. So why do you need to know the scriptures if you're going to disciple somebody? Because otherwise you'll make him a son of hell in your good intentions. Why do you need to devote yourself to know what the Bible says, to live what the Bible says, to humble yourself before God so that the power of the kingdom can flow through you in your words, in your thoughts, and through your hands. Because the last thing you want to do is hear Jesus say, woe to you. You took people that wanted me and you made them disciples of Satan with good intentions. Okay, that's the heavy one. Everybody said, amen, Pastor. Thank you for raising me up on Mother's Day. Sounded a little bit like Eddie Murphy, didn't it? Yeah, yeah you didn't have to see the movie. <clears throat> Forgive me. Don't see the movie. So now I want to talk about um, what Teresa and I have been able to experience over the last few weeks, month maybe, um, with our pal Patty Engberg. I told her I was going to talk about her. She said, nobody wants to hear about me. I said, well, when I'm talking about you, what they're hearing about is Jesus, so you're just going to have to be okay with it. She said, okay. Let me just give you a couple set-up scriptures. James chapter 4 and verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we choose to humble ourselves before God, the guy asked me about, he said, I think I have a pride problem. My dad tells me I have to learn humility. And he's telling me you know, about his pride problem. I'm like, that ain't a pride problem. This is a pride problem. When God says A and you say not A, when God says, love your enemies, and you say, you don't understand my enemies. Anytime you place your self, your attitude, your opinion, your whatever above God, that's pride. That's the thing that God hates, and that's the thing that's going to have to die in every single one of us. God says, don't do this, and you say, well, you have to understand. You love me, right? If you love me, it's okay. It's not okay if he says, don't do it. You put yourself down here, and you struggle with not doing that thing that you want to do. That's pride. That's where the grace comes from. Now, in the context of Patty, it's probably technically pride, but it's pride that I think God understands until the humility comes, and you'll, you'll see. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Remember that when I get into the meat of this thing as more important than yourselves. Others more important than me. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now remember I told you the Mark chapter 8 scripture, it fit both the discipleship thing. As soon as he got done saying, get behind me, Satan, he talked about what it meant to follow him. That same course of scripture describes the mindset of his disciples when I get to the scripture that's the scripture for this piece of the talk. Okay, so let me just go back to Mark 8 real quick. He, Jesus, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, and he was stating the matter plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around, Jesus, seeing 
Turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. That's pride right there. No, no, Jesus. It's better for us if you just stay here and don't suffer and don't die, and we'll just keep doing this thing that we're doing. And he said, no, 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 your mind's not set to God's plan. Your mind is set to your plan. Peter had to humble himself to that. He listened to the voice of Satan. He let it get past his mouth before it went past his shield of faith, and he got rebuked, and Satan, who started that conversation, got rebuked. Their minds were not considering others, in this case Jesus, but on themselves and their welfare. So that, in that mindset, here is Jesus now speaking in John chapter 14, verse 28. Speaking to his disciples, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. If you loved me. See, in that moment, the disciples were loving who? They were loving themselves. They had a thing with Jesus. They liked it. It seemed good to them. They loved themselves. They didn't love Jesus. Jesus said, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. But they didn't rejoice. They rebuked him. Because I go to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. Patty Engberg was always concerned for Keith. You should have been on the Zoom calls. When, when there was Keith in his hospital bed with the machines and the hookups, and he could move his right hand. You know what he mostly did when his wife was talking to him with his right hand? He wasn't wearing any glasses. He would go like this and just put his hand down. And, and if you could hear Patty Engberg screaming at him how much she loved him, screaming at him how important he was, screaming at him what God would say about him. And then you'd see Buttercup hand come up, and he would do this. Patty was always concerned for Keith, always. But Patty was concerned for herself, too, and what Keith meant to her. And there was lots and lots of I can't live without Keith. What would I do without Keith? I can't live without Keith. Keith, I need you. Maybe not so much to Keith, but just in, you know, in her crying out to God. And then something happened. And she made a decision in her heart that how much I need Keith, my love for Keith, is gonna, it's going to go below how much I love Keith. So now what happens to Keith doesn't gonna, it's not gonna be impacted by the what, what it means to her. It's only gonna be impacted by her love for Keith. And then what you hear is, God, I place Keith in your hands. God, you love Keith better than I mean I'm paraphrasing, it might not be her exact words, but this is the this is the heart. You love Keith better than I love Keith. If you want Keith to stay because you think that's best for Keith, then we're going to continue to pray and believe that he's going to be 100% delivered. from. There will be no evidence that any of this ever happened to him. But, Lord, if you want him to be with you, I don't want him to suffer. I don't want him to have any lack. Then you take him. We went to see Keith. We went to the ICU of the COVID place. 
We went multiple people in that room with him. The doctor told us Keith's situation, and I told the doctor that's interesting. I mean, I believe it all. You're a smart guy, but he lives by a different set of rules than, than what your medical taught you, right? We're believing. Patty has a dream. God speaks to her a scripture. The next morning, she calls that doctor, and she says, hey, if God wants him to stay with us, he'll see that he does. And if he doesn't, he'll take him to be with him, turn off the life support. Turns off the life support. A couple minutes later, the doctor calls her back. Your husband's passed. She hands the phone to Teresa. I'm in the basement getting ready for church, and here's what I hear. Oh, God, I praise you, God. Thank you, God, so much that you took my husband to be with you. Thank you, God, that he gets to see you in your glory. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the grace of God that has been on that woman from the second that she chose to love Keith better than she chose to love herself has been, I don't even have words for it. It's, it is because she humbled herself. Because she wants Keith. She can't imagine, how am I going to live my life without the guy who is my best pal since I'm 14 years old? I don't have a vision for anything of what that looks like. But God, maybe it's better that he goes to be with you. If it is, take him. And then you and me, God, will figure it out. That's when the grace came. When her love for Keith exceeded her love for herself. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to go and be with the Father. They said no. Jesus said, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Why? Because it was better for Jesus. That's the point I want you to get. I want you to ask God if there's, a, if there's any part of your heart that loves you more than it loves others, that he would help you to change it. Because when we get to that point, we'll experience the glory. Now, we might not need it today or tomorrow or the next day, but the day after that we might. And that's the grace of God that comes to the person that humbles themselves. I just want to look at my notes a minute. I have a whole list of notes. I think I said it. Grace upon grace upon grace. Someday I'm telling you, at our house, in my house, like I live at her house, but I have the same rule at least with Annika. Um, Annika goes out to eat all the time, and she eats stuff that I wouldn't, I'm too cheap to buy. And then she eats about a bite, and she puts the rest in the fridge. And I tell her there is a one-day statute of limitations <laughs> on that food. It's yours for 24 hours. At the end of 24 hours, I don't promise you that when you come looking for it, you're going to find it. <laughs> if you ask me, I'll tell you what it tasted like. <laughs> I've told Patty, there's a statute of limitations on your testimony. But I can only contain it for so long. <laughs> if you don't tell it in detail, I'm going to because the statute of limitations will have expired. Teresa and I got the honor to watch what Jesus himself didn't get to see. He didn't get to see it, right? When they took him, what happened? Peter, all the guys scattered. But Peter, he kind of went along, kind of not too close, you know, they said, hey, aren't you a Galilean? No. Aren't you one of his guys? No. And he yelled at a little girl. I tell you, I don't know that guy. Jesus didn't get to see 
his people love him the way we got to see Patty love Keith. And he got to bring the grace, but we got to see it. Do you know the honor that it's been for me and Teresa? Patty's like, oh my gosh, thank you, God, you put people here, you know, to cut the grass when I'm at the birthday party. It's more than that, I know. But the honor has been all ours. Because we've got to see somebody embrace Jesus in the way that his word says to embrace him, and we got to see what happens when we do. And it's glorious. Just to tie the two together, if you wonder what a disciple of Jesus looks like, you can look at Keith, and you can look at Patty, and you'll know that's what you're shooting for. Well, you're really shooting for Jesus from glory to glory. But, but you know what? If you find your way through Keith and Patty on your way to Jesus, I'm pretty sure you're on the right path. Or Dana, or Janet, or you, or you, Trevor. You've got to decide to die to yourself. i got to decide to die to myself. Because there are people who aren't going to know Jesus if we don't. And there are people who are going to think they know Jesus, but nobody surrendered themselves to the place of loving them sacrificially so that they could be discipled, so that the Jesus that they got is the Jesus that actually can save and change them. 